Welcome to the Soul Grit Podcast. I'm Ann Taylor McNeese, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I also love Jesus, and I'm passionate about all things gospel and therapy. I created Soul Grit to be at the intersection of mental health and Christian faith. Christ followers need a place to ask questions and get answers about mental health. Join me as we dive into real stories and real questions from people who want to honor God with their hearts, souls, and minds. want to welcome everyone back to the Soul Grit Podcast. This is Anne, and I'm here today with Pastor Scott Disler. He is a writer and a pastor up in Northern Michigan, and we met through a podcasting group, and he said, I have a story that might fit with what you're doing here. So I invited him to come and talk to us, and he sent me his book. And, you know, I'm new in this podcasting journey, and this was actually the first time an author sent me a book, so I felt really excited about that. And I read the book really quickly so I could get to this interview and then COVID wiped him out for a couple of weeks. So <laughs> we've been planning this for a while, but Scott, why don't you share with us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you. I pastor a, a church up here in, in Gaylord, Michigan, which is up by the Mackinac Bridge, up where we average 150 inches of snow a year. In fact, our first snow schedule for this weekend. Uh-oh. And um, so it's a, it's a fun place to live up here. And uh, we have actually three campuses right now, our campus in Gaylord. Then we have a campus in Sault Ste. Marie, which is right on the Canadian border. And then we have an online campus as well. And along with that, we have a TV ministry that covers 53 counties in Northern Michigan. So our goal is to saturate Northern Michigan. And that's really where we put our focus. That's awesome. Well, I'm really glad to have you here because a lot of times I have guests on the Soul Grit podcast that are more clinical and we or or people who have their own mental health stories and right. we talk about that. And this is I've had pastors wives, but this is the first time I've had a pastor and a lot of times my listeners will say, "Hey, can we hear from a pastor about this too?" And I'm just excited to have you talk from that perspective because as my listeners will know, we're right in the middle or maybe towards the end of a series on church hurt. And you have a powerful story about being uh, a leader of a church and experiencing church hurt. And I think that the stories that we've told so far have been mostly people who were members and maybe leaders in a church, but were hurt primarily by pastors. But you can tell us the, the other side, a pastor who got hurt by other people in your church. So give us a little background about that story. Sure. It actually was about 12 years ago now that it all took place where I was pastoring a church in Pennsylvania. And the first five years were incredible. We saw the church triple in size from 500 to 1500. We um, were the largest church in town, fastest growing church in our denomination. Uh, We were really excited about the future. And uh, suddenly, as I went into year six, I ran into what what I call a well-intentioned dragon. And that's not my own term. I get that from Martin Shelley's book by the same title. And that's a power broker in the church uh, who has a lot of influence. And I think their intention is they feel they're saving the church. Mm -hmm. But the truth is they don't realize how they're destroying the church. 
And this was a guy who was my biggest cheerleader the first five years. And suddenly things changed. And over the course of the next six months, there were a lot of secret meetings, a lot of untruths that were told and kind of picking off key people one at a time. And uh, during that time, I entered what I call the cave, the place where ministry becomes misery. Mm -hmm. And I'm not the first one to find the cave. Elijah in the Old Testament, one day as I'm out Carmel calling down fire from God, the next day he's in a cave going, God, just kill me. And uh, so a lot of the principles about the cave, I actually get from Elijah's story. And that cave experience did not end when I lost my ministry. Uh, I stayed in the cave for quite a while after that. But the whole really premise to my story is you don't have to live in the cave forever. Uh, Mm -hmm. There is life after the cave. There is joy after the cave. There is ministry after the cave. It's just a matter of taking the right steps to get out of the cave. Yeah. So you mentioned in your book a couple of different key figures in the Bible that experienced a cave moment or a pit moment as you told the story of Joseph. Do you think that all ministers go through a cave or a pit experience? Well, there might be a handful of lucky ones that don't, but I think (laughs) most do. And I think really, if you've been in ministry long enough in an occupational way, you probably have the scars to show it. What what I like to say to people is, you know, the Bible allegorically shows the pastor as a shepherd over the sheep. And that seems so peaceful and wonderful, but we forget that sheep bite, sheep kick, and sometimes it does bring scars. So yeah, I think a lot of pastors have entered this cave. The sad thing is this, I think most pastors who enter the cave end up leaving ministry. They just abandoned their calling. And that to me is the tragedy of the whole story. Yeah. So do you think just by really focusing on the fact that you knew you were called by God to do this kind of work, that that's kind of one of the things that helped you pull through and continue in ministry? Without question. You know, so much goes back to our calling. What what has God called us to do? And that doesn't always mean that's going to be easy. That doesn't always mean there's not going to be hurt. But at the end of the day, it's the thing that keeps us going to say, this is what God's called me to do. And until the time comes that he changes that calling in my life, Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep being faithful to the calling, not just during the mountaintop call down fire from heaven experiences, but even during the cave experiences. Yeah. So when I read your book, I was actually pretty shocked to know that you found a new ministry position within the year after leaving. Yeah, you know, God was so gracious in that because, uh, you know, that six months in between seemed like 40 years in the wilderness. (laughs) You know, I think in the book I talked about for six months, I worked in a state farm office and that felt like a wilderness for me. Mm -hmm. But in an amazing way, God opened up a new door that I did not expect. We never expected to land in Northern Michigan, that's for sure. In fact, I remember the Sunday we candidated They were going to vote on us the next week. My wife and I are driving back to the airport. I said, honey, what do you think? She said, I know God's called us here. I just don't know why. Yeah. uh, (laughs) But it was obvious he did call us here. Now, on one hand, and that was very good because I was able to get back in ministry quick. But on the other hand, that made that transition back in 
difficult because I was still wounded. Yeah. I, I, I still, I still had all kinds of fear in my own life. And um, so the first year or so back into ministry was not an easy year. It was hard <laughs> to have joy. It was hard to trust people. It was yeah. a tough year. Yeah. And how many years are you in now in Michigan? I've been up here for 10 and a half years now, actually the longest stint I've ever been anywhere. <laughs> well, that was surprising, huh? <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I, I didn't know I'd last this long up here, but it's been good. So that first year was difficult. You had that six months in the wilderness, and then you right. had that initial year there where you were still working through things. And then how long would you say it took you to feel like, I've got the healing that I need to be able to move forward. I'm doing okay. I trust people again, all of those things. I think in a large way, it took another two to three years. I remember when I was meeting with a counselor during the time I was in the cave. And one of the things he said to me, he said, Scott, when a ministry ends like you did, it's kind of like going through a divorce. Yep. And he said, what I have found is however long you were together, it takes about half that long to really heal. Yeah. I was there for six years. So it took about three years to get to the point that I really felt like I can trust again. Now that didn't mean that there weren't still some times mm -hmm. of doubt mm -hmm. 12 years into it now, almost there's still those times of doubt. Someone will say something that will trigger something and I'll become suspicious, even though there's really no need to be suspicious. The long answer is it took about three years to really work through that. Yeah. So you're finding that that estimate that your counselor gave was a pretty good estimate. Of it was for me. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of, which made me really glad I hadn't been at the previous church 20 years, you know, so, uh, <laughs> right. but, uh, but it was still three long years. Yeah. Uh, we've used that in my own church hurt experience. Like we've used that metaphor too of divorce really yeah. often that it did feel like a divorce where it's a, an exquisite grief, but mm -hmm. it's not the kind where somebody dies and they're not there. It, in some ways it would have been easier for the person, to, you know, it's easier to grieve somebody that's gone than somebody that just chooses not to be with you. Exactly. Especially when for at least a portion of that time, you're still there in the area, you still see people, you still drive by the church, all those type of things. I think you're exactly right. I actually think it is a little more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the other metaphor we used was that we felt like a bunch of foster kids when our pastors left and gave us to another pastor. <laughs> and so we were the foster kids trying to make a blended family work. Yeah, and, and, you know, that was also a really difficult time because in the five years I'd been here and the church tripled in size, and that was mainly conversion growth. That was people who were coming to faith in Jesus. And now suddenly, seemingly in their mind overnight, I'm gone. Yeah. So, so why did Pastor Scott abandon us? And, and unfortunately, I'm sure many of those people fell through the cracks. And again, it, it's not just my story. The story of my hurt also involves many other people. You're, it's like a domino. The stories yeah. keep affecting others. And then when you're uh, looking for a new place, a new congregation to belong, that also feels a little bit like dating again. So all of oh, those stuff. I remember, um, you know, I was really struggling with, I, I know what the leadership of my former church was saying about me. And so how would another church even give me a chance? And I remember talking to a seasoned pastor who'd gone through a similar hurt and he made this statement to me. He said, Scott, 
humanly, they won't give you a chance, but you'll know when God's in it because he'll give them a piece about it. Yeah. And I'll never forget the last Sunday I met with the search team and the elder board up here in Michigan. And I asked, they said, do you have any more questions? I said, yeah. Question is this, do you have any reservations about my past? Yeah. And the head um, of the search team said, Scott, we believe that everything you went through there was God preparing you just for us. Mm. And when he said those words, that's when it became confident to me. God was calling us to Northern Michigan and to start a new ministry. Mm-hmm. Did, did that spark a little bit of fear? Like, oh, if this is what prepared me for you guys, what, what am I getting into? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It did spark some fear. And, uh, and, and that fear actually grew when I came here to Michigan, started implementing the same ministry philosophy, and the church started to grow. And, yeah. and when the church started to grow rapidly in Michigan, my wife and I both experienced that fear of, okay, been there, done that, yeah. you know, and I remember, I got to be honest with you, Anna, and tell you, it took us several years before we got rid of our moving boxes. We yeah. kept them in the basement just in case. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your counseling experience as you were going through the cave. Yeah, that, that was such a nice time. One of the, the biggest steps for me to begin to move out of the cave was realizing how much I was going to need other people. Mm-hmm. One of those was my wife. Okay. Now my wife knew a lot that was going on at the time, but I didn't necessarily tell her everything. And I remember the day sitting out in the church parking lot, and I kind of backed the dump truck up and just let it all out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I needed that. I needed that because, you know, the Bible says in marriage to become one flesh, yeah. we needed to walk together. Mm-hmm. But I, I'll never forget the the um, the afternoon. It was a time of my son's graduation. I was still on staff at the church at the time. Mm-hmm. We had all the family over our house. And for the first time in my life, I had a panic attack. I, I had talked to people who'd had it, never experienced it. And frankly, it scared me. Mm-hmm. It scared me to the point that I realized I've also got to get professional help. Yeah. And so at that point, it's kind of like, who do I find? Because we got a large church that's kind of not connected. And and through a series of events, God led me to a wonderful counselor who had a lot of experience dealing with pastors and first responders. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we began to meet a couple times a week at the beginning. And the beautiful part about it was what we really focused on was my thinking. Yeah. So much of what I was dealing with was my thinking. And he really helped me to talk through what I'm thinking Are those thoughts biblical? Do they match the word of God? Mm -hmm. Or am I living in fear or telling myself a story? That's the big thing. I was telling myself, there was a lot of bad, but I was making it worse. Mm -hmm. Because everything that happened, I told myself a story. Well, here's why that happened. Here's why they said that. Here's why they did that. Mm -hmm. He really helped me to be able to, to work through and navigate that. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, what we call cognitive distortions going on where you're, you're trying to read other people's minds or guess their motives when you really don't have the power to do that. (laughs) And that was the worst part. And that's the thing that kept driving me deeper into the cave is that that suspicion, because I would see uh, an elder talking with somebody out in the foyer of the church. And my mind automatically said, they're talking about you. Mm -hmm. I didn't know they were talking about me, but that's what my mind told me. And I would go deeper into the cave, into an isolation. I pulled away from everybody. And that was one of the things that led me deep into it was that cognitive distortion. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then the isolation and just, you, you can't fish out the truth when you're all by yourself. Right. right. And, and, and that's what was leading to hopelessness. Yeah. And, uh, and I really do think a pivotal part of my being able to come out of the cave was that realization that I needed professional help. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and when God put that together, it made a huge difference. What was your stance on professional counseling before you needed it? <laughs> I was always pro professional counseling. I had never gone to it before myself. Yeah. Uh, but very, if I back up before um, Pennsylvania, the church I pastored in Indiana, the pastor before me had a total opposite view. Uh, mm-hmm. His view was all you need is the Bible. You don't need counseling at all. You don't need therapy. And I saw some damaged people because of that mm-hmm. and had to bring a whole new thinking to that church. So I was always very pro-Christian counseling. It wasn't until I went through my cave experience that I realized firsthand the value of it. Yeah. Now, today in Michigan, we actually have two counselors on staff that are that are trained professional, not just pastors, trained mm-hmm. professional counselors yeah. uh, because we see it as that important. Uh, there's so much out there that I, I can show you some principles from scripture but to really peel back the layers and to really talk through that, it needs somebody with more training. So I really see it as a huge, and, and the, the more complex our culture gets, the more of a need there is for good professional Christian counsel. Yeah. I really see part of my calling as partnering with people in vocational ministry because I we need you to preach the gospel and to disciple people and to shepherd people. And I, I have some of that calling as well, but I also have years of clinical experience and training that I can come alongside pastors and help people work through some of that stuff that you really don't have the time or the training to do. You need to focus on what God called you to do and Peeling exactly. back the layers isn't that thing. No, and, and, and it, it, that does take a special giftedness, a special training, a special call. When, when I first started in Bible college, my minor was counseling. And I got to be honest, and full disclosure, I took one counseling course and changed my minor to Greek. And uh, <laughs> Greek I, I was realized better, right huh? there, that wasn't who I was, you know. And But that's okay because God gifts us differently. The key is we need to see the value of each other. And as you said, work together in the church to be able to give that whole thing. Yeah. And and I think there's some, some duty there for us to keep networking in between. Like, I don't know if you know more of the counselors in your community, obviously you have some on staff, but, but for me to know what, what pastors in town, can I send my people to hear the word of God? And you need to know what counselors in town can I send my Partners to to receive good counsel. That's exactly right. Networking is so critical. I think today more than ever, and I think with what we've gone through the last couple years, it's going to be even more important in the years ahead. Yeah, yeah. Good. Well, I'm I'm really thankful that you're a pastor that has a perspective because you know there's some out there that aren't on board. (laughs) You're you're exactly right. You're exactly right. But yeah, and, and once. I realized the value of it in my own life. It, it even took it to, to the next level for me. Mm-hmm. I, I knew the value of it up here, mm-hmm. but I didn't know the value of it in my own life 
until mm-hmm. I needed that therapist. I needed that counselor. Yeah. And, and, and I saw how it helped me. Yeah. And even to encourage other pastors and pastors, wives and church leaders that may be listening, that there are people out there that specialize in the kind of need that you have. <laughs> yeah. And that's who God led me to. That's where he focused on pastors and first responders. And there's a, there's a lot of similarities between the two. <laughs> Yeah. And that's where his experience was. Yeah. I always call pastors. That's like the, the frontline responders when people have emotional, spiritual, physical needs, they go to their pastors. That's, right. that's exactly right. Yeah, exactly. right. I wanted you to talk a little bit about what your family experienced mm-hmm. while you were going through this. Cause yeah. it's not just you. No, <laughs> again, your story affects so many other people. Mm-hmm. So let me start by breaking it down between my wife and then my kids. First of all, my wife, you, you know, I, once I reached the point that I realized I needed to bring my wife totally into the loop, if we're going to be one flesh, we got to walk through this together. And, and that really created the first real good, along with the counselor, I was seeing steps out of the cave. And one of the things that we learned a couple things during that time, first of all, we began to pray very specifically this prayer every day. We said, God, when this is over, whatever that looks like, wherever we are, Our prayer is that we will be more in love with Jesus than we are today, more in love with each other than we are today, and more in love with the local church than we are today. And and we've prayed that prayer because over the years, I've seen so many pastors get hurt, and it affects their marriage, it affects their walk with the Lord, it affects their relationship with the church. Mm -hmm. And I can honestly say now, and 12 years removed, that God in his grace answered all three of those prayers. Uh, I'm more in love with Jesus today, more in love with my wife, and more in love with the local church than I've ever been. The other thing we learned um, about walking through this together was another thing we prayed specifically was, God, don't let us both be down on the same day. There were good days. There were bad days. Mm -hmm. There were highs. There were lows. And when one of us was having a bad day, we needed the other one, you know, and so that was part of it. The other part of it was our kids. Now, we were fortunate in the fact that during the, the, the apex of that hurt, they were both at college. So they were a little bit removed from a lot of it. But when, when we realized about three o'clock in the morning, one morning, when I got home after an all night board meeting that did not end well, mm-hmm. uh, we realized this is probably it. They're probably going to ask for my resignation. Um, we need to make sure our kids know what's going on. And and so we left at three in the morning and drove the four hours down to where they were at college in Virginia. So we could tell them. And I think that was the hardest day of my life was sitting with my kids and telling them not the whole story, like I did my wife, but enough. So they understood. Mm -hmm. And of course, a pastor's other biggest concern is always will my being a pastor turn my kids off to Jesus or the church? Yeah. I've seen that happen many, many times. Mm-hmm. And I was very concerned that it might happen in this case. Um, but again, God, by his grace, allowed both of my kids to really work through their hurt, their anger, uh, all that stuff. And they're both very committed to the church today. Um, and uh, now my, my daughter will be the first one to tell you, Dad, there's one thing I learned through this. I never want to marry a pastor. <laughs> but she is very committed to church and ministry and inviting people she works with to church. And so it was exciting. Now for my son, he's a musician. So a lot of what comes out as he processes is through music. In fact, I even 
put in the book the lyrics to one of his songs he wrote during that time as he had to work through that whole forgiveness issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now they are both um, living and raising their families and going to church. And and that's by the grace of God, obviously. Not everyone's story is like that. Yeah. Um, But so thankful that God in his grace allowed our entire family to get through that cave experience. And I think all four of us become better on the other side. Mm-hmm. Did you ever worry that your kids would think what those other people were saying was true? Yeah, that, that, that happened a lot. I knew they would hear things. Yeah. I knew they would even hear worse things than were being communicated because that's just how human nature is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that's just one of the things we cautioned them on is to say, you're going to hear things that aren't true. And, um, and, and we want you to know that you can ask any question. Yeah. And we'll give you an honest answer. Yeah. Because obviously, Anne, um, I, I wasn't guiltless through the whole thing either. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were times I poured gas on the fire during that time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there were things God showed me during that cave, things that I had to repent from. So we really gave them permission to talk about it with someone that they trusted mm-hmm. and ask whatever questions they needed to ask. Yeah. And, um, and I think um, f- for them, the, the book ended up being kind of a healing thing as well. Because okay. Anne, you, you've read the book. One of the things I really, really strived. My first rough draft of the book was three times that size. But then I took out all the stories <laughs> of how I got hurt. Because that yeah. wasn't the important thing. It was the lessons we learned yeah. that made us better. Yeah. That's really what the book is all about. And I think that helped my kids process it too. Yeah, because you didn't want to dwell on the bitter. Or I, oh, we could have wrote a, another whole volume on that. That's for sure. <laughs> Well, and I messaged you after I read the book that even just reading your story was bringing stuff up for me That's and right. my own story. And I, I would assume that if you had included all of those stories of how you got hurt, that it would have been even more painful for your readers. Yeah, you would have had to put a trigger alert probably on yeah. the, at the beginning <laughs> of the book. But we just decided, you know, one of the things we learned, and this really was providential in that my before we ever entered this cave experience, my wife had just finished reading a book by R.T. Kendall called Total Forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he said in the book was this. He said, when you keep telling your story over and over just to keep people, get people on your side, mm-hmm. you actually make it harder to forgive. Yeah. And that principle stayed with us. And so my wife and I made a commitment early on in the process that we were not going to tell our side of the story except the people who we felt needed to hear, my counselor, our kids, the board at the new church I was going to. And that was a very, I think, monumental decision for us to keep us from letting that bitterness grow. Yeah. And there's different schools of thought there about the vulnerability and how much do you share to be authentic, but not to have that, uh, vulnerability hangover as they call it. And and, you know, God through this last 12 years has brought many hurting pastors to me. And, um, and so I've obviously shared more with them uh, kind of a thing as well. Uh, Cause I really do believe, and I I put the statement in the book that God doesn't comfort us to make us comfortable. He comforts us to make us comforters. Yes. Yeah. And I do think there is value in telling your story. I mean, there's several 
uh, theories within counseling that talk about, you know, like narrative therapy, for example, we tell our story, but we get power in writing the ending. And so as you're telling your story, you're talking about how God is working through it and how he's refining you and redeeming the experiences. And that's how you are able to tell the story, but focus on the forgiveness and love aspect. And that's the beautiful thing about God. He doesn't waste anything. Even the pain in our life, God doesn't waste anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For, for a congregant, I'm assuming you have people at your church who have been hurt. Like any sure. tips, any tips from the pulpit here <laughs> or from the pastor's office here? What, what would you tell us about for people who have gone through hurt like this? You know, one of the things that I like to, to say to them is remember that God has a purpose and a presence in your hurt. You know, when I think of the story of Joseph, and I talked about this in the book, um, a lot of people like to say, well, man, you know, Joseph worked out okay. He went from the pit to the palace. And they forget there was a long time in between when he also ends up in the prison. It actually got worse before it ever got better. But through that whole story, over and over and over, you see this phrase in the Bible, but the Lord was with Joseph. Yeah. But the Lord was with Joseph. And I like to try to remind people that even though you may have been hurt, and unfortunately, that does happen in the church. We are human. Um, the truth of the matter still is that God hasn't abandoned you. Okay. The second thing I like to point out to people is God does have a purpose. You think of Joseph. Um, obviously, what his brothers did to him, very evil. No doubt about it. Mm -hmm. But God ultimately has a purpose to redeem even that pain and that hurt to help others. And I like to remind people of that as well. But I also think at least I have found this in my life. And I like to say this to people too, is when you go through pain, hurt, betrayal. I really do believe that that is some of the, the most powerful times that God works in our life to prepare us for the next step. And I talk in the book about every time that Jesus broke the bread, 4,000, 5,000, last supper, he blessed it, he broke it, and then he gave it. And I think that's how he deals with people sometimes too. He's, he's going to allow us to be broken, but he doesn't break us for nothing. He allows us to be broken so he can give us in a new, fresh way. Mm -hmm. And so, again, your pain, your hurt is part of your story, but it doesn't have to be the end of your story. There is life on the other side of the cave. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. So people can hear you on the online campus, right? And your TV ministry, if they mm -hmm. wanted to tune in, it, can people outside of Michigan get access to that? Uh, not the TV ministry, but our online campus mm -hmm. is available anywhere. Someone has internet by just going okay. to our website, myefree.org and clicking on watch online. That's live every Sunday at nine and at 1030 Eastern time. Okay. And then they can get your book, The Cave on Amazon. Yeah. Anywhere they, they buy their books, Barnes and Nobles, whatever. It's all online. You probably won't find it on the shelves, but even your local bookstore can order it for you as well. It's called The Cave, When Ministry Becomes Misery. And though it's written from a pastor's heart to pastors, um, I've had a lot of people who've said, I'm not a pastor, but I read the book and the principles really helped me because I have found myself in yeah. the cave. Yeah. And that, that would be the same for me. I'm not a pastor, but I did, you know, resonate with a lot of the points in there. So I would encourage people. And I think 
honestly, part of the reason why you're here speaking to us today is because we know what it feels like from the church member perspective. Uh, we've heard the counseling perspective, but we needed to hear the pastoral perspective too, that, that it's not just pastors who do, uh, you know, hurtful things. It's pastors get hurt in this too. And that, you know, that phrase that hurt people, hurt people. And and that's, that's what's happened. So I do hope that people tune in and uh, read your book and appreciate you being here to share with us. Well, thank you. And, and, and I would just say, listen, if you, if someone who you know who's a pastor is going through a time of hurt and they need to talk to another pastor who's been there, I am always available. Really, I would I'd love to be honored to talk with them. Well, I'm sure that's that's a really appreciated thing. So we're, we always wrap up episodes with the question, "What are you doing for soul care?" So, Pastor Ooh. Scott, what are you doing for soul care? <laughs> I love that question. You know, for me, I. I it, I have found something that's been very helpful, and I started it a couple of years ago. Frankly, I started it from a, for a physical reason first. Uh, my my um, I was pre-diabetic, and my doctor said it's time to turn this around. So I began to take to an hour and a half of my day, block it out, and I walk. I, I, I take a five-mile walk every day, hour and a half. Even if it's 40 below zero, I'm out there walking and I do it every day. It's my time to have that 90 minutes where I don't answer the phone. I'm not checking email, but what I'm doing is I'm praying, I'm worshiping, I'm listening to podcasts and sermons. It's an hour and a half, literally every day that I can allow others to pour into me. Uh, because I think, especially from a pastor's perspective, we spend all of our time pouring into others, but we don't take time to let others pour into me. And sometimes it's just that be still and know that I am God time period. But that 90 minutes a day has done more for me, not just physically, but mm-hmm. emotionally, mentally, spiritually than anything I've ever been doing. Mm-hmm. Was there a reason why you chose the 90 minute mark? Yes. And it wasn't a spiritual reason. It's because if you leave our church and you head down 32 into town, it takes 45 minutes to get to McDonald's where I can get a cup of coffee and turn around and walk back. (laughs) And so that was the divine inspiration behind the 90 minutes. That's funny because we have a a donut shop about that far away. And I always think I could walk there and earn my donut. Yeah, but and I, I never carry cash when I'm walking. Everyone around here knows they'll see me walking. It was not a big town. They'll see me walking. In fact, one day I got back from my walk and there were Michigan State troopers in the church parking lot wanting to see me. I thought, what did I do? They said, we love that you walk every day, even when it's like blizzard conditions out but would you please wear this safety vest? And they gave me a Michigan state police safety vest that I now wear every single day. That's funny. You're part of the state troopers, huh? There you go. How about that? <laughs> That's great. I do. I, I do know a lot of people who are listening are going to feel like, huh, 90 minutes. That is more than I can do, but I know just from my own experience and counseling and, and learning more about fitness and, and how that affects our mental and spiritual health that 15 or 20 minutes will help you too. <laughs> Any amount can help. Um, for me, 90 minutes is a really, when you think about it, a small percentage of your day. 
Yeah. And uh, I just come to the point where it's like the oasis in my day, and it really is. And there's some days it's like, I can't wait till it's time to take that walk. Yeah, I, I can see that. All right. Well, I really appreciate you sharing all of that with us. And thanks for being here and I wish you well. Thank you, Anne. It was great being with you. The Soul Grit Podcast is a production of Soul Grit Resources. You can find more at soulgritresources.com or on the socials at soulgritresources. You can email me at info at soulgritresources.com.